Hello everyone, this is The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. So after six weeks of action, the Rugby World Cup has been whittled down to two teams. New Zealand and South Africa are left standing and it's Argentina and England who have the joy of contesting the third, fourth place playoff. I'm Alfie Reynolds and once again in Paris, I'm joined by Alex Lowe, Will Kelleher and Stephen Jones. How are you all, guys? Absolutely first class. I've never felt better. <laughs> we've heard how long we've been out here, we've been out here about two years and I've never felt better. I'm dying for the rest of the podcast and the rest of the week. Steve, he lied. I'm Sorry. pleased to see you here because I heard there was a tale about your taxi ride home last night. Oh, that was desperate, yeah. I, I typed in the wrong thing on, on um, what's that thing with the taxis? Uber. Uber, yeah. I typed in the wrong thing. I was in, I was in the Moose Public House in um, Saint-Germain and on, instead of typing at the hotel, I typed in Stade de France. <laughs> <laughs> or I didn't, anyway... Uh, Luckily, the, after about half an hour, the, as we were nearing the stad, the driver said, oh, stad de France. I said, what? <laughs> anyway, we eventually got back at 4 a.m., I think. It reminds <laughs> me of the story from the Lions tour in 2009 in South Africa, where a, 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 now it doesn't work in rugby broadcasting anymore, but a prominent rugby broadcaster went and had a few too many, got his taxi home and just said, the vineyard, please. He was staying in the vineyard hotel, passed out on the back seat. And woke up, was woken up by the cab driver in Stellenbosch saying, which, vin- which vineyard would you like, sir? <laughs> <laughs> so at least you didn't get all the way no, up to I didn't to go all, all the way to stay. I didn't want to go back there anyway. There we go. So I've, I've got another slight rugby-related Uber story from friends of mine that play for a club. And they play in Bristol. They went on tour to Portsmouth. And someone, one of the younger lads at the club, got in the got an Uber at the end of the night in Portsmouth and accidentally sent it back to his home address in Bristol. <laughs> fell asleep oh, in the cab. Oh, oh, no. Woke up in Bristol. Oh, 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 oh. How expensive is that? Oh, into the hundreds, I think. Oh, so oh, at least really it must have been that. fined as well. I hope. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> there were other people going from Bristol to Portsmouth the next day, so he just hopped back in with them and got a lift back down and rejoined <laughs> yeah. the tour. So there oh, you well, go. my energy levels are really low, but I'm I'm full of beans now. That was oh. a good start. Well done, everyone. You've brought me back oh, up no, to no, life. No. Well, it's funny you saying. You energy levels are low will because i'd imagine that on sunday morning the england team hotel would have been full of wow, tired yeah. bodies physically mentally it was a little bit like your hotel i feel like yeah. i came into the lobby this morning of the the press pack well and truly worn out from uh, what has been a long old tournament i mean we mm. haven't gone what 80 minutes back to back to back to back but we've done a lot of writing <laughs> i think i spent so long looking at my laptop we had Really good detailed piece with Alex Corbusier doing a scrum analysis. But yeah, it was it was a long day of washout filing, wasn't it, Alex, yesterday? Yeah, and also, I mean, Steve, you were filing on the whistle on Saturday night, mm. but a game like that, with, when, when there's, in some ways, it's basic, the way that the game unfolded, but also there was so much that went into it. And we were doing a live blog at the time, so you'd... You're spotting tactical shifts. What what's happening? It's, it was an engrossing, compelling game Saturday night, and then there was a lot of, a lot of follow up and a lot of things to examine. Actually, through the night, we were working till about three a.m. and then up at eight with the um, Tom Curry situation, trying to examine what went on there. So yeah, it's been um, it was a busy weekend. But then that's you know, that's what you sign up for at World Cup. And also, you know, you, you see people on on social media, etc., saying, "Oh, well, actually, it was a terrible game. It was no flow, blah blah." blah. I tell you what, it wasn't a terrible oh, game. No. It was it, of its type. It was an awesome game. It was an absolutely awesome game. It was bitty. It stopped. It, there were mistakes, but it was an awesome game. It's a Rugby World Cup semi-final to treasure. 
I, I was sitting, well, we were all sitting together at the, in the stands, although Steve had to move because uh, a whole load of pints came oh, flying down oh, and, yeah. and <laughs> made you and Stuart Barnes had the scarpa because they were well, Barnes, soaking Well, Barnes' laptop was soaked in a pint of uh, lager. They usually you don't serve beer in France, but they have been doing it this World Cup, or alcoholic beer anyway, but I think some people above us had a bit too many. But yeah. just back at the end of that game, I mean, we're, not, we're just looking at our laptops, but and 100 metres away from it, but I could feel my pulse in my neck. It was that tense. Yeah, exactly. Thinking, are England going to drop a goal here and get through? It was just such an, as you said, absorbing contest, wasn't it? Even though it wasn't high scoring or loads of tries, it was mm. just, you couldn't take your eyes off it. Well, we'll get on to the England game in more detail in just a second, but yeah, absolutely. It was probably around the 60-minute mark that I started to let myself suddenly think, am I going to be watching England in a World Cup final next mm. weekend? But it, it's not to be. You mentioned it there, though, Alex, the Tom Curry situation. We can't really say too much on it, partly because of the nature of that situation. It's developing, and South Africa are speaking later today on Monday as we're recording this, so there's a very good chance that by the time you listen to this, it would be out of date anyway. What can we say just at the moment, in terms of what is the current situation? Well, what, what we know is that 23 minutes into the game, Tom Curry went to the referee. He felt he had heard a slur against him from Bongi Mbanambi. I won't repeat what was said, or what he thinks was said, but he went to the referee and just, just said, "What if I've heard this, what do I do? And the referee said nothing. That was picked up on the referee's microphone. South African Rugby Union has said they're going to look into it. And that's currently where we are. There's lots of chat on social media about what might have been said in in Afrikaan. We, we don't we don't know any of that. All we know is that there was this conversation between the player and the referee, and there's a sighting window which closes on Monday. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to address it later in the week, probably. But obviously, keep your eye on the Times online, on the paper, because the boys will be right across that situation. But hopefully understand we can't really delve into it right now. What we can do, though, on this podcast is we'll look ahead to the World Cup final. We're also going to be looking back on the semi-finals. Hopefully later in the week, the plan is to record again on Thursday, a bit like we did last week where we had a semi-final preview. We'll have a preview of the final. So most of this episode will be looking back on the semi-finals. Heartbreak for England losing to the box and a routine win on Friday. Friday for New Zealand over Argentina. We're also going to name our God or Goddess of the week. But as we've just been teeing up, the second semi-final, England's heartache was by an absolute mile the best of the games over the weekend. So that's where we'll start next. England 15, South Africa 16. Owen Slot in Monday's paper with the article where it said this was a defeat in which England won back a nation's hearts and I must admit guys probably as I reflected on the game and the disappointment started to subside that's been my overriding feeling in that with England for a long time we've we and I think the fans in general have just wanted something to grab hold of and get excited about and feel pride in and I feel like that is what they produced on Saturday. I think some of us, or mo- most people before the, the game, were, were slightly thinking, how, how the hell did England get here? Because they've not, not been great. After the game, we knew why they got there, because they had a performance in them. And uh, I just thought they were heroic. I thought people like Joe Marler was absolutely heroic. Dan Cole, who we've given stick to on the pod in the, in the past, just gave epic performances. They raised themselves. Geode at fullback was also excellent, but the whole team the bustle and the hustle took the box out of their stride and fair play it, it may be a one-off let's hope it isn't but as a one-off it was it was absolutely bloody fantastic I think we, we called it in the the preview conversation with Sam Warburton on, on the ruck at the end of last week that, that England had this in them they, they were going to make this competitive 
I don't think England can get away with producing one heroic performance a year and keeping people on board. I just think we have to accept that this was the project that they had undertaken, having changed coaches at the start of the year, where England were. You've got to remember, by the end of the Six Nations, even Steve Borthwick was saying the gap is huge between where England were and where the best of the world were. And he was right. And as it sort of emerged along the way, he has sacrificed, he sacrificed performance in the warm-up games, which I didn't, don't necessarily agree with the communication around that. It was... They were sold. There wasn't any, basically. Yeah, they were sold as full-on test matches. England don't have any games to waste. What was actually happening behind the scenes was that they were they were training sort of forty percent above what they would experience in a test match. They were trying to get themselves to a position where they could compete on Saturday, and the ends have absolutely justified the means. But I don't think that's a sustainable model. But certainly, from where England have been, if you think of the road from Tokyo to to Paris, it was rocky and pretty much downhill the entire way they won a six nations title probably the worst six nation title that's been won ultimately during the covid period and then they hit the came to the world cup and they won five games in a row by hook or by crook which as we said last week has been that one of their the sort of catchphrases almost but it's all there's a huge amount of planning went on to deliver that performance on saturday night that was an epic game it knocked the Friday night game into a cocked hat. I mean, it, that was a that was a really unfortunate set of circumstances where you had Argentina, the kind of team who, when they're in it, they're on fire. When they realise they're not in it, they just fall away. It was an incredible performance from England, just narrowly short. But if you consider where they started, then they are. I think they're incredible. I think we always felt they'd get to a semi final because of the draw. But to have competed the way they did and to come that close, they'll, they'll rue a lot of things. They'll rue missed lineups. They'll rue the scrum penalty against them on South Africa's line that they'll rue Owen Farrell will rue being a bit petulant and having that penalty marched forward into range they'll rue those moments but they can take a huge amount out of it and ultimately they delivered for England fans a performance that they can be proud of and and grab hold of as something to take forward and, and that's what hasn't happened for most of the last four years there are loads of brutal lessons in there and it's it's an odd one isn't it because Basically, that often happens at World Cups, but that team's not going to play together again. But this one's going to be quite a significant change, it seems, with Courtney Laws has already said that's him done for Test Rugby. Johnny May earlier in the tournament said he's not going to be playing for England much longer. You don't think that Joe Marlon and Danny Kerr are going to play that much longer. Dan Cole certainly won't. Um, There will be guys that stay. I'm sure Jamie George would probably truck on for a bit longer. Plus a couple going to France. Yeah, you've got, well, Dave Ribbons, Joe Marchant, Henry Arundel, although... Arundel will be available whether he's selected or not let's see and you've still got Jack Willis who's away who obviously was part of the squad at um, beginning of the tournament but got injured and replaced so what I'm now thinking is how does this get better in 2024 like I don't think it's like we criticised Eddie Jones for looking too far ahead for too many years ahead so I don't think Borthwick's job now is to look at 27 completely yeah, yeah, I think yeah. he should try and win as many possible games in the current six nations that will be coming next but it's how does he do that because the iron uh, the island team is going to have a few people who change but they're not going to suddenly just drop off a cliff the the french team are going to be absolutely fizzing in that first few rounds of that six nations because of the disappointment here so i'm just thinking if that was the game plan by hooker by crook to get to the point they got to here where's the the next ceiling and how do they get to a different game plan 
that allows them to beat these other teams. Because at the moment, the way they're playing the game is very limited and I don't think it's got a very high ceiling. Yeah, it's a platform, isn't it? And it's how they develop that game plan, right? I think Stuart Barnes made the point in the paper today as well that as much as England's game plan was what they needed to employ for the game on Saturday, there has been a number of occasions throughout the World Cup where actually how threatening they've looked in terms of scoring tries. And again, that was probably the case in the semi-final. They haven't looked threatening enough. And I don't think... We're not criticising them for how they played on Saturday. If anything, we're saying it was so brilliant because that was the way they were going to win that game. But I think what we're now saying is we're sort of being constructive critical I suppose and saying okay if that's the baseline how does it improve after this because it needs to because the teams that are really really good in the world score three four tries a game and England basically didn't look like scoring once did they and, and weren't really trying to and Johnny May and Elliot Daly were having an absolute field day under high balls as was Freddie Stewart they did an amazing disruption job on the South African starting back three Farrell kicked brilliantly mm. Alex Mitchell I've never seen him kick so well it was incredible but I'm just now thinking, OK, where are the next layers and who brings those next layers? Because there's going to be quite a lot of change in the squads. Yeah, but that's, the, that's, a, that's an encouraging thing because yeah, totally. this was a project. I mean, this was a, a five-month project with this coaching team to get as far as they could get into this, into this World Cup. The work is already happening for the next project. There are issues within the RFU about the, the pathway that got destroyed five years ago. And Borthwick is working already to try and improve his access to players, to try and improve the relationship with the clubs, try and improve the the readiness of under 18, 19, 20 players to become senior men's like pros and then internationals. Because the, the gap, the, the, the transfer from the under 20s to the, the seniors hasn't been effective enough. He's working on all that. He knows that that's there. So he, the work on that project has begun, but it's not, it, it, this isn't, England, as Will says, they cannot now go into a four-year project. But I think what's exciting is it feels a little like 2012 when Stuart Lancaster began, when he had a, 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 gener- a group of younger players around whom that team could be built. And I thought, we talk about Courtney Laws retiring. I mean, what a career that guy's had. He's got better and better through his career to the point that in the last two or three years, he's been at his very best when he can barely train. But when... If there's any player who best epitomises what's required on a big day, the coaches, lots of people talk about Owen Farrell. I think it's, I think it's Courtney Laws. I think that there is not a big game that England or the Lions have played in recent years where Courtney has not had an absolute stormer. He carried them over the line in Australia a year ago. He was immense, I thought, on, on Saturday night. But there was also like a passing of the baton for me onto onto George Martin because Courtney arrived as like a destructive missile tackler always legal but always painful like I, that was his that was his go-to and he layered all these other elements onto his game and I thought with George Martin that was a real stepping stone a real more than stepping stone it was a coming of age performance for a guy who's who's had a lot of promise a lot of people believing in him and the way he conducted himself in that game it was almost it was symbolic that Courtney was bowing out as someone like George Martin was stepping up. You, you say what Borthwick's going to do is try and set up the, uh, the, the link between the under-20s and under-18s, blah, blah, blah. Ironic, actually, because what on earth have they been doing for the last 20 years? I mean, they're just setting up the link now after the World Cup. That should happen in every country. And I condemn Twickenham, Bill Sweeney, Conor O'Shea, 
for not putting that department into being. I mean, it's ridiculous that Steve Borthwick's now doing it. I mean, it should have been there all along. It's like having Strictly come dancing without the Blackpool Tower or something like that. But but the other thing is, when this the, the, the history of this era will be written, we'll find that in 2019 they got wiped out in a World Cup final because they couldn't scrummage. In 2023, they got wiped out because they couldn't scrummage. And it is some, it is time people got real in English rugby about restoring a scrummage because they've now been in two World Cup, sorry, one World Cup semi and one World Cup final, and they've lost it in one position. And that now, was the point Ox- you made in the Sunday Times. It, it was. The, the thing is with scrummaging, you don't say we'll have a scrummaging side or actually we won't. We'll, we won't have a scrum. We'll be open, open rugby. You start with a scrum if you're playing the most attacking game in the world. You've got to have a scrum. England don't have it, and the Premiership have not given them one, and it is an absolute sh- shocker. You won't see uh, no other country bar England would lose two World Cup finals because they couldn't scrummage when they've had a magnificent history of scrummaging since 1871. It's, it, it's a great symbol of the decline in the last four years that when it came to the, the five-month project, the two starters in the biggest game were Joe Marler and Dan Cole, who did a phenomenal job, but there's been no development in that in either of those positions really. Ellis Genge was not included in the World Cup final twenty three four years ago and he's now a vice captain and a starter. But Kyle Sinclair is, has not kicked on in, in the last four years. Dan Cole ends up starting a tight head. Will Stewart has has slipped down to third. Joe Hayes has won a few caps, but that is an area of of concern and, and Steve's absolutely right. If if England are going to lay themselves foundations to to layer on more to their game, then it has to start there. Um, two points. So there is a project going on at the moment that you touched on it, Alex, of training up front five forwards. They're trying to repair these broken pathway systems. Yeah. It's just um, started, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah, it's just started. But they're a group of big young lads, basically, who are being recruited to be props, hookers and locks. So that project is underway. And then I was the second point, I totally agree with Steve, but I was just going to say, I think the one country that manages to meld the scrum with everything else is New Zealand that everyone sort of looks at New Zealand and go oh they're a big attacking side and always have been but it's always based off having a strong set piece like Absolutely. how did they beat the Lions in 2017 that first test they went for them at the scrum like Warburton was saying last week wasn't he go for them at their strengths when did they start improving a lot of it was Joe Schmidt but also a lot of it was having good scrummaging props like Ethan de Groot so you can't and like Harlequins win the 2021 Premiership title. Vilko Lowe, the tight head, Joe Marler, the loose head. And yeah, they all can that do the lovely Jouet. attacking rugby they played was only possible because absolutely. they had the And they piece. had the cleanest set piece in, the, in the Premiership, yeah, which absolutely. is why Marler kept trucking on and made it into the World Cup semi final. And that, that's why we're sort of moving away from the game itself, but that's why this club country deal that's being negotiated now is absolutely critical that those people, Bill Sweeney and Simon Massey Taylor, get it right. The re, one, of the, one of the issues there have been in the development of prop forwards in England is that clubs have had to retain props that who might have gone out on loan in the past have had to stay with their premiership club to hold tackle bags in the week because they haven't had because they've got smaller squads and as an aside the championship clubs usually have to pay to loan those players in rather than the other way around so you've got like the, the under 20 prop at a, any whichever club you think of who should be playing rugby is staying at their club training and holding tackle bags and so their development gets stunted. And that's where this much-vaunted new partnership that 
the RFU and Premier Rugby are talking about, the biggest test, the acid test of whether it works, is whether there's an actual relationship where they can find a way for the greater good of all English rugby for players to play and not just sit there holding tackle bags. You, and that, I think the, the, the lesson that Will, Will makes a great point there. The All Blacks, we think Bowden Barrett actually up front it all started. What I would say too as well, is, and this has often been something that happens in sport and quite a lot in English football, certainly used to, is whoever won the last World Cup, oh, well, let's just copy them, we'll do tiki-taka like Spain or we'll play like Germany or we'll do... What we're not saying is England just suddenly need to be a scrummaging team and play like the box. They can... That New Zealand can have proved over the many years that you can do both, that you don't have to just go, we keep losing scrums, so let's only focus on the scrum. But what we're saying is that that often builds the foundation... And is often the thing that if it goes wrong in a massive game, you just can't win. Well, you almost feel like it was a little bit where England started to go wrong after 2019 in that they looked at how they got beaten and started playing a very one-dimensional. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just think, lads, we're coming back now to the to the Premiership, and um, okay, I wouldn't mind a week or two, but we're coming back to the Premiership, and um, my goodness, the Premiership now, I, I know it's it's a downbeat because they lost teams, but what an opportunity for rising players in the Premiership now, because there are vacancies yeah. in the team, there are vacancies in the England team, they could become in, within, they could become a Lion in two years' time, and a World Cup contender in four years' time, anyone who's English qualified, who's got some talent has got a great opportunity in the Premiership. It's going to feel quite fresh, isn't it? I mean, when we come back in January to England time and stuff like that, it's yeah, going you to look really fresh. This morning, <laughs> <laughs> no, don't feel very fresh. But it is going to feel quite fresh, isn't it? There's going to be yeah, Felix it's Jones it's is going to come in, who's in the South African setup. They might he might be a double World Cup winning coach by that point. Possibly Kevin Sinful might move on. There's rumours around that. There's going to be a lot of new players, as we were saying, and. And what I'm going to be fascinated to see is how the Borthwick plan grows because a lot of it has been hooker by crook. It's a lot of it has, has been him saying, we've only had X amount of weeks together and they've grown every time he said it. And we've only had the coaching team together for X amount of time. But he can't use any of that stuff anymore because he'll have as much time as he needs now. Yeah. Can I just, just on, the, on the game, one of the things, and, and Steve did touch on it after the game, was how his plan... And the execution of it, we've talked on this pod through this World Cup about it's not about necessarily how you play, it's how well you execute that plan. And it was wet, wet weather rugby and, and England, as, as has been mentioned, executed it brilliantly. Like there wasn't, you know, there were so few mistakes. There were everything that they wanted to work was working for 50 minutes. And there was a shot of the South African coaching box and they were holding like this war summit. And um, Razzie was barking orders and... They took off their fly half after half an hour. They took off Ibn Etzebeth after like 45, 50 minutes. Two massive calls, but absolutely the right calls. South Africa won that game in the end because they had depth of props, as we've just discussed. But they also had an experienced coaching team, the wisdom to make those decisions when they needed to be made. Now, we're used to South Africa kind of calling the shots with... You know, innov- innovations or pushing the boundaries, but here they were they were problem solving, and they sol- and they solved those problems. If if Manny Lebox stays on the f- on the field for much longer, the box are probably gone. When RG Snyman came on, you're like, wow, they're taking Edsbeth off. He was a man in the match a week ago, and yet Snyman was ab- bringing him on was absolutely the right call. Enormous bloke, enormous bloke behind those props, and at 50 minutes. Oxen chase on, and England still have Cole and Marla, and for the first time they got a massive shove, and it kind of went through England like a like a sound wave almost. It was it was brutal, and you're like, 
that something's changed. It's changing. It's changing now. I just thought, for all the grief that we can give the, the South Africans at times for, for their behaviour, Razzie, referees, etc., that showed the value of coaching team who've been through it, a coaching team who've learned lessons, a coaching team who understand each other so well that they were able to, to, to think themselves out of a really deep hole. It was impressive. Maybe we'll get onto it when we look ahead to the final kind of briefly on this episode. I also thought to a degree they were problem solving a lot of the issues which I thought they maybe created. I thought as brilliant as Razzie Erasmus and Jack Nienaba have been into, from a coaching point of view for the box, I thought it was one of the games where they got quite a lot wrong. And I know we spoke about it with Sam, but the lack of changes from that quarterfinal, I, I think they did look a little bit leggy and lacking in energy. Maybe, but that's that's a decision you make for a proactive reason. Whether it's like I think we said last week that they were clearly worried about the box getting back to that emotional pitch. That I'm sure that's why Razzie was kept reciting these stats about mm. the, the same average age and the same average weight I mean they're irrelevant stats to to the game but it was it was to reinforce the message that England are going to be a threat here and South Africa have to be on their game so whatever theory they came up with whatever game plan they came up with that had Libok at 10 that's one thing to then you know Eddie Jones in the 2019 final made a call to go with Ford and Farrell and regretted later regretted that selection but regretted more not changing it quicker you know if you if you've made a mistake or you've you've read the the game it hasn't panned out how you expected to then react and actually make a positive change off the back of it that's what that's what they did no i agree let's round things off with england then boys um obviously brilliant performance heartbreaking defeat how do they approach the third fourth place playoff is that already will a a look to build towards the future or is it a swan song for (laughs) laws and co it's really hard to i mean he's yeah he doesn't give much away our our friend steve um not jonesy (laughs) but um you could interpret it two ways so in his post-match interview on itv straight after the game he did a very classic Steve Borthwick thing of going we're going to prepare fully for Argentina we want to win that game it's all about next week now the third fourth playoff which I don't think any coach in history has said we're desperate to play in that bronze final but um, that's just the way he approaches things a very week to week guy and then we did a, a chat with him separately didn't we Alex and he was sort of saying well I'm all, I'll always do this but I'll pick the best team to win that game but then there was a slight mention in there of we need to give some of these guys World Cup experience and you'd yeah. think that the likes of Cole, Marler, Laws have probably had plenty of beers over the weekend as they fully deserved and just go, Steve, I don't need to do a six-day turnaround. That was me. Thanks for, very much. Uh, I would be surprised if those, if those senior guys played for, for a couple of reasons. One, that emotional thing that we just talked about, about South Africa, I think it really applies here. They've absolutely wrung everything out of themselves and they've, they've lost by a point in the semi-final. And I just think I cannot see them getting themselves to a position where they'd play six days later emotionally and physically and I think when Steve says we'll pick the best team to win this week that that's not an indication he's going with his first 15 yeah. that you know I think there are players who could now benefit from playing in the, in this game for whom it would might mean more frankly I was, I was going to say that, that I, th- I think him saying they're the best team to win the game would probably be the hungry team, yeah, wouldn't it? Absolutely, the guys who've been it's, waiting it's for Aaron opportunity. Dull, it's Bevan Rod, it's Jack Walker, yeah, it's all those Theo lads. Dan starting. It's I'm afraid I wouldn't go that low. Uh, sorry, not low. That's the wrong word. I wouldn't just g- give people games because I do think that uh, 
Jack Roll, the, the, the Jack Roll um, was been in this situation and wished afterwards that he they tried harder in their third and fourth place game. And I, I, I'm not saying they should go flat out, but I, I, if people are just not being on form and not not shown was up, was that '95? Didn't he pick, didn't he name the same team in '95 and they? They were just gone. Well, no, they, they didn't bother about the game. They didn't train or anything. Right. And and nor, nor did the other. But lot that's what we're saying. Like, but, I, no, no. But I look, think if I, Johnny May says, "I'm up for it. I want to play," then he'll play. Yeah. I just think and, there are a lot of them who just won't be in the right place to play. But the and, thing is, the, l- the, luckily, the front row don't have to because Argentina's scrummaging is very poor. <laughs> no, it is. It is. It but is. I think we're making the same point in different but, but, from different but, but, angles. Because I don't think you should go around everyone and say, oh, "Give them all a game." I, well, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying no. that you pick the best team, like that your, that '95 team. If they hadn't trained and they just named the same team again, they weren't they weren't up for the game. They weren't ready for it. I think there there are England players who weren't involved on Saturday, who would have a, who would play better, yeah, than than some of those veterans who did play and who were battered and yeah. Okay, I, I agree with that, but, but I, I I'd, I'd be slightly worried. I'd, I'd beware turning off, switching off too much, and regretting afterwards that hey, we could have got a medal or something like that. I would, I really would beware that. Beware that. Well, we'll wait and see. Ben Youngs, for example, I think there's a good chance we see him having. I not, think it'd be, having uh, not been involved, but I think it'd be nice for him. Like, uh, yeah. this, we don't know for sure, but it possibly be his one of his last games for England, if not the last. And yeah. just be like, it's it's felt a bit of a shame in some ways that he's the most capped male player of all time, and he's just sort of been wandering about France sort of not really involved is he so that'd be nice to give him a game I think well it was a bit of deja vu really from an England point of view the South African scrum the right boot of Andre Pollard and England crash out of the World Cup but we'll park the chat there for England up next we'll look back on the first semi-final between the All Blacks and the Pumas so we go from an absolute nail-biter jeopardy tension completely absorbing game of England against South Africa to Argentina against New Zealand was this the worst World Cup semi-final in the professional era it was certainly it wasn't a great spectacle was it let's let's be honest Steve were you at the the one that was almost broken the record for so we were looking at it 1987 semi-final was New Zealand Wales and Mm. that was 49 Mm. six six yeah which almost got beaten in terms of winning margin in the semi-final was that a terrible game was it just the All Blacks were brilliant in that uh, the, the, the All Blacks were brilliant funny things used to happen then like Wayne Shelford the, the, the All Black number 8 laid out Hugh Richards with a huge smashing punch Hugh Richards was carried off and Wayne Shelford played in the final those are the, <laughs> those are the sort of things that happened no that, that, that was poor but only because it was one sided but actually obviously this one was one sided as well feel very sorry for the Pumas because there's something not quite right there it was just so flat wasn't it the well, whole well, it was, experience of that it, game it was but it's not not unexpected. No, we, no. We, we knew that the quarterfinal weekend was going to hit heights that, yes. that the World Cup hasn't seen. And I think it was James Corrigan from a rival establishment who did make the point that oh, there have been six knockout games and five of them have been absolute belters. Mm. Now, that's a, that's a pretty decent return. Argentina, like New Zealand won that game on cruise control. They scored seven tries. Will Jordan equals the record. It didn't, you know, if you if you paid three hundred euros, five hundred euros for a, for a ticket, you'd, you'd felt, and it was flat. You could, you compare the two games, the ball in play time in that game was a record for a World Cup. It's forty forty three minutes, forty three minutes. Right. So, in terms of your value for money in that uh, in that ratio, then you feel like oh, it's great. Forty three minutes of 
of action, and yet it wasn't competitive. Not at all. On Saturday, it was staccato, stop, start. But whenever there was action, it was like the tension was crushing. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah. It it goes back to a conversation that we had earlier in the World Cup about what kind of rugby do you want to see. And Ian Foster keeps going, "Well, you want high ball in play." You know, we beat New Zealand 100 points, uh, beat Italy 100 points, and high ball in play. It's like that, that is not an indication of what makes a good game. And yeah. what makes a good game is something that is. Every area of the game is, is highly competitive. And once New Zealand scored, it's game over. It, Argentina were gone. There was a br- brutal stat we've discovered at half-time where pretty much New Zealand had scored a try with every time they'd got into yeah. the Argentinian yeah. 22. And Argentina had scored six points from something like six inches. Yeah, it was like a... Just two pens. They just played into into New Zealand's hands. It was like a rope-a-dope thing. New Zealand weren't, they weren't defending fast and in the face of Argentina. They were actually quite passive and they they give ground up to about the 22 and then they just wait bide their time bide their time bang mark Talley nicks a turnover geordie barrett nicks a turnover and then they're down the other end and then they score and then the same pattern the same pattern unfolded throughout that first half really of argentina what you would describe as building pressure but actually really when you think kind you of going nowhere it, yeah they were going through the phases not really going anywhere and then to, and then new zealand would pounce and sting them and there was only one occasion where Argentina threatened, and then Jordi Barrett, being Jordi Barrett, made another goal line, amazing goal line tackle, twisting Montoya. I think, I think Sam Whitelock may have done a bit of something in the, in the darkness to dislodge the ball, but that's what you, you know, that's what if you get away with it, you get away with it. It was a brilliant tackle from Jordi Barrett. They just played into their hands first half, twenty six at half time, game's over. Can I just make one more point there though? Argentina are now treated like a tier two nation. By the by, the old guard. No one ever goes to Argentina with their full side to play. Argentina hardly play any games at home. They abandoned the Jaguares. Uh, 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 that helped Argentina no end. They killed that team, the the, the other nations. And uh, we need Argy in there because there are no other contenders at the moment to the very top. I would say they've made three semi-finals in the last five World Cups, which is a better record than most. Tier one nation, but, certainly but, but, Australia, but this, Wales. This, 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 don't forget, Argentina was were a world class team not so long ago. They're on the slide, and they got to stop it. Yeah, no, I agree. I, what, my point is that that's we can see what they can do. Yeah. We can see that they've you know they've With got little this, help. Yeah. They've got this record, and you'd love it to, to be maintained. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder what this means for the final. Would you prefer to be New Zealand, who had a cakewalk semi final, and uh, one more day to recover? Or would you prefer to be South Africa having battled through, and New Zealand, New Zealand definitely South Africa, and not be not be that tested. South Africa have have won their quarterfinal by a point and their semi-final by a yeah, point, yeah. having had to dig as deeply as they've had to dig in a long time. And also, I, I think I'd much rather be in New Zealand's position where they took off frontline players after about 50 minutes against Argentina and then opted to finish the game with 14 men. So definitely rather yeah, be in the Yeah, yeah and, and also I think the question marks now over some of what the, who, who were the original starters in the, in the, in the Bok team. And they, I mean, to be honest with you, I think New Zealand have been so calm and collected. Razzie will be, um, like the idiot ears, will be, um, will be stirring it up all week and that actually distracts them rather than helps them as well. Yeah, Scott Barrett not coming back on was. You know how last week we had the we had the Springboks flex of calling a scrum <laughs> yeah. in the twenty two. I felt like well, the All Blacks saw that and thought, well, what can we do? We can not bring him back on for the final. So five. Foster, it was quite interesting. So Ian Foster was asked about it afterwards, and his explanation I sort of didn't really think about as being an option. But he basically said, well, he had a yellow card 
And so if he had just come on and done something silly like an accidental knock-on and got a second yellow, he would have been sent off and would have missed the final, which yeah. would have been pointless. But it did, at the time, feel, when you're counting up the numbers, going, oh my God, they've got 14 on, they've just purposefully done that. And the semi-final did feel quite alpha, that, didn't it? In a different way. Yeah, and just finally on that semi-final then as well, it, we're, you're right to say it was flat. It was weird, I thought. We all turned up to the ground and everyone was saying the same thing. Of It just felt flat and we ended up seeing a pretty flat game as well. So an easy win for New Zealand, a one-point win for the box. They are heading into the World Cup final. On Thursday, we will do a bit more of a, of a preview of that game. This is more a look back on the semi-final. So New Zealand heading into it, we think probably in the better position, as we've touched upon already, South Africa probably needing to uh, get a few more things right in terms of selection, preparation, than maybe we saw against England. Um, it's a good final, though, isn't it, guys? I mean, I know there's, been, there's always been that kind of residual disappointment that we haven't seen Ireland or France get to a final, which I think a lot of people and a lot of neutrals were hoping for. I think it's, it could be an epic game. I'm still, and it's, this is not, well, maybe it is, Northern Hemisphere bias or whatever, but I'm just a little bit disappointed that we haven't seen France or Ireland in the final. I, a few weeks ago when we were watching those quarterfinals, I think quite a lot of us down in Marseille were like, that would be an amazing final. It almost looked like an FA Cup final yeah. with green one side, blue the other. The fans would be ridiculous. The Irish would probably get more tickets somehow than the French. So I'm a bit deflated that it's not that, but... New Zealand South Africa is is like the great rugby rivalry, isn't it? So yeah, one of them's going to win the World Cup four times. Yeah, you got two teams who've won it three times. If South Africa win, they'll have won half the World Cups that they've entered. That they've entered four out of eight. Four yeah. out of eight. I mean, just I guess extraordinary. It's yeah. an extraordinary record. But I'm slightly disappointed overall that there, that there isn't a uh, that France aren't there or Ireland aren't there or, or England aren't there, given how close they they, they came. But that said. It will be. I think it will be an epic encounter. I, I just can't can't get over the around the fact that um, this was the Northern Hemisphere's chance. We've yeah. not done it very often. The Northern Hemisphere, compared to the Southern Hemisphere, spends multi million pounds on preparation. They take their players away, prepping for the World Cup, World Cup warm ups, and all that. It is an absolute scandal that with all that money and all that time, we've won, uh, the Northern Hemisphere has won one World Cup ever. And that people have to look at their preparation because that is scandalous. And the Southern Hemisphere is superior, but not by that sort of margin. Would you say that this time it, it feels slightly different because of how tight those quarterfinals were, that you're talking about a point here and there that's, yes. that's made a difference? It's not that the, the Southern, like 2015, all four semi-finalists were, were rugby championship teams. Yes. It's... It's felt tighter this time. The, 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 these games have just... We were, you were saying the other day, Will, that these games have come down to the last few minutes and it's actually often been the team that hasn't had the ball that's ended up winning yeah, the, the game. Yeah, the defence. Well, if you think about was with the England on Saturday. New Zealand-Ireland game, the France-South Africa game and then the England-South Africa game, it was all a team that just dipped ahead and then had to defend for the last couple of minutes. Even Argentina and closing it, it out was. against Wales. Yeah. They yeah. win it without the ball. They yeah. were it look yeah, you're right, it's been really close. But look let's just look ahead. Ireland have, play, have played way above their results throughout all their history. Uh, there's no guarantee that Ireland are going to be remotely as good in four years time. England uh, Wales, are they going to be really contending in four years' time? And and I think this was Europe's great chance and know. they lost it. I mean they're not showing that you can get pretty close with five months. I just think it's... it's no, no. Well, who, who got close after five months? England. England. Close to what? 
the make, final. The they're one point away yeah, from making on, the final. On. They, in a one-off game, yeah. But they. But still, that's all it is. That, they, that's what I'm saying. Like, no, it's not a one-off game. You, you, you've got to win three. Uh, but, but, I mean, that's if you qualify. In, come on, boys. England were hopeless to, apart from one game. They were hopeless. But they, they didn't but, have... But, I mean, so we, we, but, but we, the point we, I'm making is you can't say that, that in four years' time can England have a chance when it, I think it's shown that if with a, with a draw... So many things that go their way. With a draw, you only have to win... They came within a point of well, making, making the final. They only it, have to win one, one big game. If there's a ludicrous draw next time, they got, might have a chance, yeah. But well, the draw's going to be totally different. Well, I, 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 just, I just think... If the draw had been different this no. time, they wouldn't have got any remotely near. I just think the, la- the last two World Cups have proved... That I, I put a tweet out about it after quarterfinals, but the death to the cycle. The, the, Definitely. The 2019 World Cup, South Africa were good for five, six months. They won the Rugby Championship and then they won uh, six out of seven games at the World Cup and they were the world champions. They weren't the best, they weren't, um, they were the best team in the world by the end of it, but they weren't brilliant for that long. And this time, New Zealand could win the World Cup having just had the, one of the worst years in their history, ripped a lot of things up and they could be, end up world champions. South Africa going back to back would be very slightly different because they've built over that period. But England almost making the World Cup final would have been ridiculous for how bad they were in August. Yeah. Like, this whole thing about, I don't know, it helps coaches because they get long contracts and stuff like that. But the whole four-year thing, I know you've got to build, but I think we're proving now that you don't need to be out, outrageously brilliant for the whole thing. And why don't you just win when you can rather than... And exactly you don't need to say what everything. Eddie Jones said, oh, it's all, the only game that's important is the World Cup. Yeah, totally. Well, let's park that. I actually think there's maybe an interesting discussion to have there, which we can have after the World Cup final about the whole cycle and all that sort of thing. In terms of the final, as you've mentioned, Will, both, both teams are... On three World Cup wins already, going yeah. for their fourth. South Africa looking to go back-to-back, the only team to have done that. New Zealand 2011-2015, who we all hold up as the, the best team ever. So I think it will be really fascinating. But yeah, no doubt it's, from an England perspective. It's always see. flattering when the uh, compass says, I think we can have an interesting dis- discussion on that sometime. <laughs> <laughs> so boy, just to round it off, final thing then. God or Goddess of the Week, who wants to start? Can I go for George Martin? Yeah. To, to steal it off you two. I just thought... The guy was not overawed at all. It's it's not in his nature to be. I, I spoke to him in the mix zone afterwards, and he was just like, I just really like playing with some of my mates, like Fred and Ches. He just felt like he was at Welford Road banging people, and it was great. And it's a World Cup semi final, like, and any normal bloke would be a bit overawed and a bit like, oh my god, I'm playing against the Springboks. But he just absolutely loved it, and like the grin on his face when you asked him what his favourite tackle was, and he was like, oh, the one on the line against Mostert. Yeah, I loved it. I just think if they can bottle him up and reproduce about three of him <laughs> I don't know how they're going to do that right. but they've got a player there uh, uh, he can expand his game but he's a, a big hard lock and England haven't had one of them for a long time you need my silver medalist definitely but I, I mean I'm a bit down on the box I, I, I think the way they handled the alleged comments by the hooker have been disgraceful but I would have to go with Ox and Chi because I've never seen a game uh, changed so much by one person I'm glad you named him um, I'm going to give a silver medal if that exists now as a thing yeah. to Can you uh, be a silver god silver? half a halo demigod demigod With- hey, there, hey. <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, Will Jordan deserves a, a name check for equaling well, the world name Cup. check now as well <laughs> demigod god and name check demigod Will Jordan for <laughs> or just, devil for e- equaling the world cup record of eight tries with Jonah Lomu Julian Sarveya and Brian Habana but Courtney Laws for me not partly for what he did on Saturday but really just as a as a gesture to to an incredible career, I remember him 
coming into the team when Martin Johnson was head coach and, and we were down in New Zealand for that World Cup and talking about Courtney Laws and, and John O just said you even if you weren't looking you could tell a Courtney Laws tackle by the sound that it made crunching bones on bones the air rapidly escaping the, the poor victim he got banned at that tournament for knocking out Argentina hooker I can't remember who it was <laughs> and and England's defence was that was that he'd he'd banged him with his testicles and that had been enough to knock him out. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> it. Didn't get him off a ban, <laughs> yeah. but that was they tried they tried that to argue Smith that it wasn't again. dangerous that he they just he just collided head on testicles and that been <laughs> enough to knock him out. Which uh, if you can get away with that as a defence, then I'll, I'll take it. No, I think he's been awesome. So Courtney, Courtney for me as a as just a great bloke and a hell of a player. Well, some good shouts. I've had four names written down. Three of them have already been said of Will Jordan, Oxenche, and George Martin. So I'll go for the fourth. I feel like it should really go to someone from the England-South Africa game just because it was so much better. But I'm going to actually mention Geordie Barrett, who I think has steadily become an absolutely unbelievable inside centre. World Player of the Year contender if they win the World Cup. That hit at the end on Sanchez towards the end Mm. of that semi-final was just absolutely bone-crushing. So maybe I'm partly putting him in just, just for that. But good work, chaps. We'll reconvene on Thursday we're starting to flag a little bit getting towards the end of the World Cup but we'll we'll try and get a World Cup preview out for you on Thursday this has been The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times make sure you follow or subscribe us wherever you get your podcasts from and we'll see you on Thursday Thursday